Um, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. And children can be dismissed for Children's Church. If you want to meet your teacher in the back there, she's waiting for you. So here at Wayside, we just work our way through the scriptures. So if you're guest with us, you happen to have joined us when we were at this particular passage. And usually I preach on more verses than uh, we're going to look at today. But these verses that we're going to look at today are so packed that um, it's just going to be two verses. Chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. And in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read these verses to you? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So as we begin the new year, it's fitting that we've come to this passage that talks about a new creation that instructs us that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Amen. And that also means that we, as fellow believers, look past any expressions of the flesh that might uh, break through the new creation that we are and instead focus on the new life that we see in one another. That helps us to love one another. If we focus on the little times that the flesh breaks through, uh, we're not going to have a good attitude about And it's going to be hard to love one another, amen? But if we focus on what God is making that person into, what God is making us into, and already is working in us, that new creation, that new life, it really helps us to love one another. I remember in my past, there was, I'm going back uh, 40 years or more, and there was this one lady who she just, she was, uh, I always wondered, because she, she could just see, past, she could do what I'm talking about. She could look past what the person was like and see what God was making out of them. And she just loved with a whole heart, whoever she was with. It was amazing. And I always wanted to, and here this verse is kind of expressing that as well. Verse 16 again, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Although we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So to understand this verse, always you have to get the context. So we got to back up a little and see the previous verses to, to catch the flow of the thought here. In verse 14, Paul tells us that it is the love of Christ that is controlling us. That means that that controls it, it presses us, it compels us, it stirs us to serve one another as an expression of that love. Paul tells us the reason it does so is the result of knowing that Jesus died for us all. The sinfulness of all mankind died with Jesus on the cross. As we will see at the end of the chapter, he paid our debt and he offers us his righteousness. Amen. Thank you, For those who will accept this great exchange 
a transformation takes place. We no longer live for self. The foundation of our lives becomes our love for Christ. Our lives become dedicated and focused on living for him who died for us and was raised. But sadly, most people will reject this great offer and just go on living selfishly. And that's why we who are in Christ no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. We don't hold their past against them. We do remember our past but it, because it recalls how gracious God has been, how merciful, how loving he's been to us, but we don't judge our fellow believers by their past. When a brother or sister stumbles, we don't write them off. Oh, well, there he goes. Won't see him again. The old self's death throes are just a desperate attempt by the flesh to take back over our life and cause us to be unfruitful. But it's the love of Christ that controls us. Paul had judged Jesus according to the flesh before he was converted. When he was Rabbi Saul, he looked at Jesus and he saw him through the eyes of the Pharisees and he saw him eating with sinners and he assumed that, well, this rabbi must condone their sins. He heard of him being hung on the cross and he considered him cursed by God according to the law. He thought Jesus was just one more self-proclaimed Messiah, a heretic deceiving the people. And he saw Jesus' followers as people who were misled and distorting Judaism and ruining the nation. But after encountering the glorified Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul could no longer consider Jesus according to the flesh. His eyes were opened. He could see that Jesus was with sinners to redeem them. He could see that Jesus was cursed because he loved us and took our curse upon himself. His impression of Jesus and his followers was instantly transformed. He realized that he was the one who was deceived and ruining the nation. The tables had completely flipped. And that's what happens to many who come to Christ. The people they once thought were ignorant followers of a deceptive system, they suddenly see as people who follow the truth and try desperately to share that truth with them. There are those today who still judge Christ after the flesh. They ignore the hundreds of prophecies he fulfilled just as Paul ignored the stories of Jesus' miraculous signs. They refused to believe in the virgin birth. They count him as an enlightened man, but they can't accept the fact that he spoke the truth when he said that he came to give his life a ransom for many, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. They instinctively know his love will take over their lives if they receive him. So the result of rejection is a hardened heart that won't hear Jesus' words. They don't want to be a new creation with a heart after God. So allow me to make an application regarding judging no one according to the flesh. Because what Paul is saying here, of course, is, is, is applied to his situation and who he was and related now to those false teachers who were attacking him. But it also applies to us in the way that we see one another. 
we've been looking at how Paul changed his view of Christians, but it can apply to how we see those who are lost. When you meet someone, what do you see? What does your sight have to do with judging who the person is? Do you see them as a person made in the image of God who will one day either be more glorious than you can possibly imagine or condemned to an eternal torment for refusing the gracious gift of righteousness that comes through Christ? Do you see them as a person that God sent his son to die for? Remember, God told Samuel, don't judge according to appearances, but judge according to the heart. God looks at the heart. This was part of the struggle Paul had in Corinth. His words were anointed, divinely inspired, but his appearance was far from what the Corinthians thought was appealing. And his delivery of the message wasn't as polished as the Greek speakers of his day. But those words were packed with eternal truth. The false apostles were trying to get the Corinthians to focus on the outward appearance. Paul was pointing them back to his heart that was fixed on the love of Christ. Paul was compelled not by outward things, but by the love of Christ, whom his heart had come to know and embrace. And that's what challenges us. It compels us. It presses us onward. That's what causes us to love others. If I could be personal for a moment, and I'm glad that my wife's not in the room. It's what I admire about her. She looks past the outward and she looks at the heart of people and she sees their eternal worth and their great potential. She'll drop everything and pray with a hurting soul as long as it takes, whether they're in Christ or on their journey to him, whether they reek of alcohol or they're finely dressed. And may God help us be so compelled, amen? Because that's how our Savior worked in us. That obligates us. It compels us to be like that towards others. That's soul winning at its core. Loving people because God loves them and sent his son to the cross to save them. And that's why I cringe at methodology. Love is what wins our hearts. For God is love. And everyone who loves comes from God and knows God. Agape, God's kind of love. It expects nothing in return, but sees the value in the person that it chooses to love. And we choose to love because the love of Christ compels us. We know that just as Jesus was the word made, the visible, Jesus, the word made all that is visible from the invisible and in the same way he can speak life into our empty spirit. I'm blessed to have had a couple of mentors who regarded no one after the flesh. <laughs> Whoever they were with was the most important persons in the world to them. They were soul winners because people sensed their genuine concern for them. They will listen to someone who they believe really cares. People listen because they can sense that 
genuine concern. And how will they believe Jesus cares for them if they don't see it in us, if we don't genuinely care for them? People sense that genuineness. Verse 17, the first part, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul's expressing the wonder of salvation in this brief phrase. He's expressed it in a different way in the first letter. In, chap- in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, he said, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He's saying the same thing, just in different terms. Since Christ died for all, and all can share in that death, which gives all who will receive him forgiveness and are no longer considered mere fleshly beings, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, boom, new creation. That's how it says it in Greek. There's no he is in Greek. If you look in, if your Bible italicizes words that aren't in the original, he is will be in italics. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. It's instantaneous. It's an explosion of life. Like we saw earlier in a previous passage, swallowed up in life. It's not a reworking of the old. It's not just an adjustment. It's a new work of God's creative power. Just like he spoke and there was light. The, the word new here, kainos, is, is new in quality, not just in sequence. In other words, it's not just the next model, it, it's altogether different. Believers' old self is crucified with Christ, and they have therefore laid aside the old self and put on the new self. We need to understand this. and, And if we do, it helps us to stop looking back and identifying with who we once were. And wallowing in that, oh, I didn't do this, or my parents did that to me, or whatever the old things were that haunt you. If we realize we're totally new, forget it. It's gone, it's over with. Yes, you might look back and look at how gracious God was to you because of all the things that he put up with and the patience and mercy he had, but that's not you anymore. You are a new creation. God spoke and it was. That life is over when you come to Christ. And now we live by faith in the Son of God We believe his declaration that we are new creations. In addition, it gives us faith that we can obey God at the leading of the Holy Spirit because with Christ, all things are possible. The resurrection power that raised Jesus is now at work in us. We need fear only God, not death, not persecution or hardship. Our old being is swallowed up by life. Hallelujah. And the last half of 17, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Old gone. Look, new creation. Believe it. Act on it. Refuse to go down the old paths. Call on the strength of the Lord and yield to him when he knocks on the door of your heart. 
Ask Jesus to answer the door and watch the old nature cower before him. If you're in Christ, have a constant awareness of his presence and power that's available to help you. Walk in the spirit and resist the zombie, that old crucified nature. It only has power if you yield to it and the love of Christ controls us now. My experience of this was when I was just five years old. Growing up as the son of a Baptist preacher, I, I heard about hell every week. <laughs> it was popular back then. <laughs> I certainly didn't want to go there, and Jesus offered a way out. So I prayed every night, Jesus, please save me. I don't want to go to hell. Night after night after night. And one night, the Spirit spoke to my heart. I can't tell you how I know, I just know. I knew it was God speaking to me. And he asked me, don't you want me because I love you? That's a Jesus-like thing. If you look in the Gospels, Jesus is always answering questions with questions. It makes us think, it makes us consider more deeply. And I decided, hey, that's a much better reason. And boom, I was a new creation. Did I just knock this off? Sorry. <laughs> I'm probably messing with the recording. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I couldn't wait for my dad to get home to tell him, you know, because I knew it would thrill his heart. I just knew I was different. Something changed in me. Now, this does not mean I was perfect. On the contrary, I was a rascal. <laughs> but an instantaneous miracle took place, which was the beginning of a lifelong process. The beginning of increasing conviction of sin, of starting to learn the difference between the flesh and the spirit. It's the beginning of God working in my life, changing my thoughts, my desires, my actions. And it continued with the hunger for the word, but also over time learning not to manipulate the word. In other words, not looking for verses to justify what I want to do. It's been a process of learning to completely surrender. I often find that God allows me different choices, but lets me know which one is most pleasing to him. What started 65 years ago continues to this day, but with more of the fruits of the Spirit and more faith and more confidence in God's faithfulness. As Paul declared to the Galatians, Christ is being formed in us. Most of you that are here today can tell a similar story, a little bit different details. That famous line from The Chosen is so applicable. I was one way and now I'm different and what happened in between was him. We can say that almost daily though as he continues transforming the outer life to the reality of the new creation within. The world needs to see new creations to believe it's possible for them to be changed. The one who realized, the ones who realize their life is a mess are often the ones that God is preparing to receive a soul crucifixion and a new spiritual life. But it helps to see and hear the others who are transformed. It encourages them that it's possible. Love is the evidence that it's possible. 
and all of the fruits of the Spirit declare a new life has begun. I'm often reminded of one of the songs popular during the Promise Keeper movement, Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things, give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God, tread where his feet have trod, as brothers of the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. Live radically for the eternal. Do not fall for the dangling lures of this temporal world. Their satisfaction is temporary and their price is costly, more than you can imagine. We have much greater satisfaction in living under the control of the love of Christ and eternal rewards as a bonus. Open your eyes of faith and your heart to the great love of God and truly live. This newness is a, a part of the new heavens and the new earth. It's like a down payment. It's a deposit of what is to come. We have in part what will be for all things when Christ returns. Paul wrote about this in Romans 8, 19 to 23. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation's been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, when you redeem something, you change it for something, right? And we're going to, as Paul said in the beginning of this chapter, we're going to change these uh, tents that are falling apart for an eternal dwelling that can stand in the glorified presence of Christ. All of creation is waiting, watching for this moment to come. For when it comes, the curse on creation will be lifted and the whole world will be a Garden of Eden. Isaiah predicted this future age. And I'm quoting from him, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I have formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. For behold... I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. The new creation we're already experiencing when we are in Christ. The new world is coming, and we're assured that we're a part of it by the Spirit of God in us. The new creation has begun in our hearts and that's what Paul was declaring in verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. Now, we often quote verse 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, in regards to salvation, and we should, but we need to see it in the context of the passage and of all scripture. 
It points to the fall and to the final restoration. It shows us how it's already begun in us, and it assures us that we're part of the kingdom of God. In that day, there will be no more battles with the old nature. Hallelujah. As Jesus declared in the last chapter of Scripture, Behold, I make all things new. This newness has already begun its work in our hearts of everyone who's accepted the forgiveness that is offered them in the work of Christ on the cross. Old beliefs, desires, plans, ideas, motivations, they all die with Jesus on the cross. The new has come. The Greek tense is at, happened at a point of time and it continues to the present. As we read the word, we pray, we worship, and have fellowship, God continues to implant in our hearts new passions, new beliefs, convictions, and direction and purpose, and we begin to desire to live to please God and to start to recognize our selfish ways have to go. And as we continue to feed our souls with the word, we nourish that nature. Always be mindful that what, what nature you feed is the one that will grow stronger. If you're surprised by how strong your flesh remains to be, it's probably because you're continuing to feed and nourish it by your thoughts and your actions. If you want your new life to grow stronger, you have to feed it. In Paul's final letter, he told Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The word of God is our daily manna. The picture presented by the Jews in the wilderness as they would gather their sustenance each morning. Just as they needed physical food each morning, we need spiritual food. And that's why Jesus, the word made flesh, said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. All things continue to become new when you feed the new nature. We must allow the Holy Spirit to change our thoughts and patterns. He's working on us with conviction, but we must cooperate and choose to obey. We need to be open with the family of God and, and ask for prayer when we struggle with the old. We live in the world, but the fact that we are a new creation means we have a completely different perspective, a heavenly perspective. So let us encourage our hearts in the midst of this cosmic battle. We are the new creation, the evidence that the kingdom of God has come and that all things will be made new. Paul has defended so far in this letter his integrity for the sole purpose of continuing to convey the pure gospel to the Corinthians. He pointed the Corinthians and us to the promises of God and the evidence of what is to come. And this is to help us to walk by faith and not by sight. By God's grace, let us take this teaching to heart and let us look forward 
feed our spirit daily, and live to be controlled by the love of God. Amen? Amen. Jill, would you come and close us with a song, and then I will give the benediction. Let's stand and sing.